1: Today on the show, we're going to do something that we actually haven't done in a while. We're going to release the full interview we did with Todd Olson, the CEO of Pendo. Todd has a long history in product and product management coming from Rally being the VP of product there and today we talk a lot about the key metrics that you should be tracking. In fact, he has five key metrics that you should be watching for actual success in your product, not just vanity success. We also talk about his inspiration for building Pendo and some of the early mistakes that they made when deciding what to build. All around a great conversation. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to Rocketship.fm.
0: Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka
1: and Mike Belsito. Cool. All right. So your name and how you'd like us to introduce you.
2: Uh, My name is Todd Olson and I'm the CEO and co-founder
1: of Pendo. Brilliant. Um, All right. So tell us a bit about Pendo um, for those that aren't familiar.
2: Pendo is a uh, what we call a product experience hub. So what that means is we install into uh, software interfaces. We capture all of the behavior and how users and customers are engaging with it. We feed that data back to product teams so they can make better decisions. And then we complement that with in-app messaging to educate onboard users on how to get the most value out of the software they're using.
1: Is that like an intercom style feature? Um, a little different, whereas
2: intercoms in that messaging is more focused on um one to one communication. It's more like chat. think of ours as more like a campaign, so um I wanna greet all new users with a message to show them around and kind of teach them how to use it or I want to do a, an outage announcement, so it's it's really more like a campaign than it is like a conversation.
1: Very cool. And I understand you were the you were the VP of product at Rally, um, which is where a lot of the inspiration for for Pendo came from. What were some of the pain points that that you saw that you were trying to address?
2: Yeah, I I, I would say the, the entire inspiration for Pendo came from my prior experience, and I mean, certainly. Rallies most recent, but also before. Um, but specifically, there um, for a large software as a service product, you know, you start to get to a certain size where it gets difficult to prioritize where to take the product. You have lots of teams, you have lots of features, you have lots of customers, you have lots of loud salespeople, all of whom are giving you feedback and trying to sift through. Uh, all of that data and find the signals versus the noise is difficult. And um, one of the uh, challenging releases I had there is I spent a lot of time and a lot of energy in our our teams did, I should say building something pretty significant. We launched it. I come to find out three months later that people weren't using it as I thought they were were Mm -hmm. based on anecdotal evidence. And that was super frustrating because it sounded good. We declared victory. We celebrated a lot. And You know, we were in some ways flying blind. And then when I asked the question, how do we get this data? You know, it's like, well, that will be, you know, a month of engineering time. We can capture this or that. It was always like, um, it was expensive to capture this. It wasn't just ready and available. And that really was a huge inspiration after I left on what I wanted to tackle next.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um let's talk about some of that measuring product success. Um how do you start to define what is success for for a product?
2: Yeah, so, so if I start, you know, just you know, if I start back just for a second. I mean, I think mm-hmm. this is a huge challenge in the product community is that all too often product managers and teams declare success at shipping. And mm. you know, traditionally five years ago it was actually really really hard to ship software you know i think with the advent of agile technologies and new techniques and you know we are able to ship at um good consistency and high quality better than before right so i think used to have huge release parties and i used to celebrate releases right oh we shipped the thing congratulations whether or not people used it or not or people got value out of it we weren't so you know concerned with um but um but uh, a lot of celebration there. So, so now it's kind of Pendo's thesis. And uh, by the way, Pendo's name means value in Latin. That's how I came up with the name. And um, ultimately, at the end of the day, the, the reason I picked that as name is that a product needs to deliver value back to the customer and end user for, for you to be doing your job. That's ultimately why we do what we do. If you're not providing value back to the things you're doing, you have to argue, like, why are we doing it, right? Now, so, so value is the ultimate metric, and that's kind of ultimately how I measure it. And, and of course, there are there are other, I would say, downstream or more lagging indicators. I mean, revenue, of course, is the lagging indicator of success. I mean, companies that have larger revenue, you could argue, have better product, right? Um, now, I agree there's other factors in it, you know, Uh, go-to-market matters and things like that. But, you know, certainly in in certain markets, the best product is the one who ultimately wins. Now, the challenge of that is um, those are difficult measures of product success because they're so lagging. So Mm. when I think of success, um, I start looking at what are proxies for value that start painting a picture for how successful our product is. And, you know, we have... You know, four or five key metrics that we kind of look at on a regular basis to kind of give us a sense for for how successful we're doing, and 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 you know, frankly, we we work a lot with our customers and on those in the same ones.
1: When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices: construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country, or invent a talking pillow. AT&T business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And, backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. So what are those? What, what are the, the five metrics that you're you're actively paying attention to um, as a, as SaaS business? Yeah.
2: So, um, again, these depend on the the product itself, but the five that I kind of like to look at, uh, one is, um, just general, we're calling breadth. Breadth is, um, how broad adoption within my customer base and am I doing? And, um, this is, you know, how many active users do I have generally, if I'm in a B2B model, it's, let's say I sell hundred seats of uh, software. Am I getting a hundred percent of those people using my product on a regular basis or not? That's generally our breath, right? Because if I'm selling something and I'm selling 50 seats um, and I'm only getting five, well, that's, I mean, we're missing the mark. I mean, there's obviously yeah. there's 45 people not getting value or they'd be logging in more frequently. Right. So, so breath is one yeah. measure. Um, Frequency is another interesting one. How frequently are they coming? And this is really popular in the B2C world. We, we hear about daily active users, weekly active users, monthly active users. I know that, you know, Snapchat as an example is getting hit right now on Wall Street because they're not adding daily active users at the expected rates. Right. So this is a really important measure. I mean, you know, in. in And I've had a lot of competing conversations around this, but generally speaking, if people aren't coming to your product at least a month uh, on a monthly basis, but certainly I think on a weekly basis, Um, how useful are you really, right? And and I know there's a lot of discussions, you know, um, I'll talk more about a few other metrics, but... but, this is one where I think it is a measure of value, right? Because if they're not logging in, it's kind of easy for them to, when it comes to renewal or comes to think about something, what's really must have is that must have. So I think frequency is another one. Um, another interesting metric beyond that, that I think honestly it's the hardest one, I'll be frank, this is probably the hardest metric that, that we measure, is what we call depth. Depth is if I have a thousand features which percentage of those features are being used. Now thousands are probably a larger number. Maybe I should use a hundred. Um, but uh, the reality is building and maintaining those features have a cost. You know, we all know it. I mean, you know, the engineering team has to work around it. There's design considerations that have to happen. There's regression tests and make sure we don't break these things, even if we're not actively building it. Right. So there's a cost to having a large number of features. And a lot of times, Certainly in the B2B world, we've gotten a little crazy in the number of features we build um, a- as we move to enterprise customers, and they simply ask for more and more things. So I think depth is an interesting one. Now, you could argue, are, is each feature equal? For example, are there some features that we consider really important, some we consider less important? So you can start looking at depth through different lenses. Um, you know, maybe you have features that are geared towards certain personas. Like we have sometimes features used just for admins or a feature just for read-only users. Um, you can look at it that way. But I think this is really, really important. If you have a thesis that you're going to build something for a certain audience and they're not taking advantage of it, there's um, there's something going on there, right? So it's definitely something that is a measure of success. So I love that one. It, it's a pretty challenging metric, at least I know it challenges me uh, internally in our own product. Um, that's a big one. Um now I said that you know frequency or depth, you know, this could this could matter on the product. And you know, take tax software. I mean, um, you know, TurboTax is an amazing product, right? But you you don't need to be logging into TurboTax every week or every month, hopefully, right? Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> I <don't want> to. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so maybe those are obviously um those are lesser important metrics for a product like that. And where no one's argument, TurboTax is not successful. So, in that instance, you know, I, I think what we're one of the interesting measures is efficiency, which is if I take an important task and that important task says filing on 1040 Easy, how efficient is it? How, how fast can we get people to that outcome? Right. And I think for certain products, um, people spending more time in your product is actually a bad thing. Right. And that may yeah. seem counterintuitive, but you know, I, I didn't say in any of the metrics I cared about time necessarily in product. Time is, is an interesting proxy. because um, people are spending more time, you can argue it's good, but but there is diminishing returns. If I'm in a product and I'm trying to do something and it's taking like it is painful, and I'm spending too much time to do something that I consider basic or simple, I will eventually hate that thing. Um, yeah. so we're actually doing some really interesting experimentation with, uh, defining and measuring efficiency for key activities, which is which percentage people complete it, um, how, how quickly do they complete it, uh, in com- comparison to other folks. So I think this is a really interesting health metric that, that we're focused on as well. And then the last metric that I like is, is some qualitative metric, um, uh, which uh, you can argue, is, you know, customer sat or you know, CSAT or even you NPS, know, which is a you know, measure of loyalty. It's some qualitative measure, asking people, "How are we doing?" Um, I think this is critical. Everything else I mentioned was quantitative. This is qualitative. Um, I think the blend of quant and qual is is where you really derive real insights, because you can start to combine the two. Right? Are people that are more efficient, have better loyalty, right? One would assume so. Yeah. But maybe not always the case, right? Um, I find scenarios where the buyers of my software may be a lot happier than the users. You know, and, and, okay. and, and, yeah. and that's a challenge. What's happening in those situations often is that the buyer just doesn't know that their users are unhappy yet. Now, eventually, they're going to survey those users themselves internally and then someone's going to tell them. But I like to know in advance <laughs> before we right. respond to that, right? So I actively surveying, keeping a key pulse on what's going on there um, is a way to, to be more proactive uh, in these sorts of topics. So, so that, that was probably a mouthful, but that was kind of some of the, the five key metrics that, that we're looking at that are good proxies for success.
1: We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Now, back to the show. Yeah, do you find that that um, people are able to eliminate features or even simplify their product after looking at things like depth and and uh, frequency?
2: Absolutely. So, yeah, in, in I, I've I've given a number of talks at this at conferences, and, and people get kind of angry at me when I bring up this provocative <laughs> subject. But you know, there there's a lot of success in removing things. And people don't like removing things. It's a hard thing. But being able to remove with confidence is, is an incredibly powerful thing. One of my favorite um, uh, things I've done in my career, uh, actually, early at Pendo, we um, we were measuring things, of course. But, but every once in a while, we would just remove a feature. and It wasn't a random mm. feature. It was a lesser used feature. <laughs> um, and... You know, I I had a rule then where if I wasn't getting value out of it. I can't imagine why a customer would. So we just remove it. And that was kind of a, it's a bold idea, but, um, but it was interesting. Some of those features, no one noticed. We got no emails. Some of them, we got lots of emails and that was in many ways was the best, the best, um, feedback you could ever get. If you remove something, he will complain well, obviously they like it. And and then yeah. it starts the dialogue because if I think it's not useful as a product guy and the product person and the customers do, there's a there's a disconnect, right? So then there's a dialogue around because what we ended up settling on is building something actually different, a third thing that solved the problem the customer wanted, but in a way that we both agreed was more intuitive. Because what you find is we all, when we use things, we kind of sometimes contort the products for our own needs. You know, it may not be yeah. meant to do something, but we, um, put our own spin on it, or do something else or find cool ways to hack it. And we're always proud of ourselves when we hack products that we use, but at the end of the day, it's a hack. And I, I think, uh, communicating with the product and sharing out know, this, there's a better way of doing it. I think it's huge. So yeah, I, I huge believer in removing things, making a product simpler. um, there's a lot of power in
1: that. Yeah. And and like, you know, these aren't simple products, right? Um, which can make them a little intimidating to get into. Uh, so sometimes the, the simpler path is is more powerful. I'm curious, like you, you have a data-driven product um, outside of, of some of the MPS stuff. Um, are you actively also seeking out um, that that qualitative feedback? Are you doing user interviews and learning from your customers?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you, you you have to look at lots of different kinds of data. I think the things that we do now, though, is that we're smarter about who we interview and, and why. And You know, so we um, – one of the benefits of our platform is that we communicate a lot with folks in apps. So if I want to do a survey, uh, if I want to get a, do an interview, I want to talk to people who use a certain area of our product, we can target people that – have used a certain area you know, more than 10 times. So at least I know that when I'm getting on a phone with someone, they've actually used the thing, right? It's not feedback sure, for what they no. think it is. It's feedback from actual first hand knowledge. And that's one of the things I think, I think is super critical. All too often um, it was just, you know, the old adage, you know, the squeaky wheel, um, you know, mm-hmm. the concept. You don't want your squeaky wheels to be people that don't, that aren't actually experts. And um, you want to make sure you're targeting people. So we we tend to when we do interviews and we do usability studies. sometimes in usability studies, we actively target people who are who are novice users, brand new to the product because we want a fresh approach, people that aren't already embedded in their ways, right? And sometimes we target people that are experienced. And that's actually an interesting and powerful model that a product people they often conflate. You you sometimes want to ask people that know nothing, and sometimes want to ask people that are experts. And right. um, you really want to have a single survey or single research study that has both in it, because you get really, really different results. Right? You know, it's like the whole adage when you when they you know Facebook first changed change the timeline, a lot of people complained because a lot of people were really used to it, but that wasn't going to measure what was better or worse. That was simply a measure of whether people like change and accept change, right? And change is hard, right? So, you know, when you do anything that's different, some percentage of your users are going to revolt. It is natural. It does not mean it's worse. That's why surveying novice users in certain instances gives you better data because it helps you make sure you're driving to a better solution because you're you're not – you're not asking people whether change is easier now. You're asking people
1: whether the UI is more intuitive. It's
2: completely different questions, and I think that often gets lost. I think on UX and product. Groups.
1: Was there um, was there a particular mistake that you guys have made? Maybe you, you ris- misread the data um, or jumped to a to a conclusion um, where you had to roll a feature back.
2: Um, I mean. Yeah, I, I well, there's shit. I mean, we, we make tons of mistakes, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> everyone uh, does, right? <laughs> I work, I work, I work, I, uh, if I had a nickel for mistake, we'd have even more cash in our bank account. So, uh, um, I wish right. we did that. Uh, no, I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, but I like to, we, we focus on a lot of little mistakes rather than gargantuan, huge mistakes, right? So, a lot of our mistakes right. <laughs> are, are, are little mistakes. We try to adapt quickly. Um, you know, uh, you know, I mentioned taking something away. We we had an AR product, and it, it wasn't used a lot by a lot of people. Um, and, you know, we did remove it, and and we got some backlash from it. It was like, whoa, like, I was not expecting that. Like, the data looked like no one was really using it that much. So that was an interesting thing. One of the other uh, interesting insights that we gleaned from it uh, was we saw someone using something a lot. Like it was an outlier and we're like, wow, I think like, okay. this user is like getting so much value out of this. We must be killing <laughs> it. Right. And, um, it wasn't until we, we like, well, why don't we interview her at least? And we got on the phone, we interviewed her and we saw how she was using it. And we we're like, Oh, and yet it was like just reeking with usability problems. And it's like, like, Like we we went on this call thinking it was going to be like some nirvana moment where we we were like oh my gosh we you know we want to find more of her (laughs) no no, we don't want to find more we were causing her pain this is one of those this is exactly example of us creating a totally inefficient UI that caused her to have to be in our product more and. Oh, no. No. because, okay. there was, because so, we thought that it was like going to be the model for everything, and end up being the anti-pattern. <laughs> so um, interesting. And, okay. Uh, so you know, a lot of lessons are in outliers. If, if there's like one person that's doing something markedly different than everyone else, I mean, you gotta figure out why. And you know, it's you know, and obviously it could be a good thing, but it also could be a bad thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Um, what is, what's kind of the, the future or the immediate future for, for some of this data driven intelligence in, in product? What are you excited about? Well, I mean, yeah, it,
2: it, I think there's a lot of talk about it in the community in general in the, you know, uh, in big data community, there's, you know, the, the next stage is a, a lot more forecasting things like machine learning are, are hot terms. Now I, I think. When I boil it down, it comes down to how do we create models, to do more forecasting of health. So it goes beyond. I think right now as an industry, we've suffered a bit from being behind. So we just haven't had good data. So our current goals and current strategy is get product people amazing data. But after we get you amazing data, um, the next step that we're working on is how do we help them set really good goals? So it's one thing to know a number, another thing to have a goal and a target. And then after we have that, then how do we start predicting whether you're going to start hitting or missing your goals for and early indicators? That's kind of like the three-stage process. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about a product manager sitting down somewhere before they even start working on something and, and saying success for this new feature is this. And we're not going to declare victory. We're not going to drink our beer or wine or whatever it is you guys celebrate with uh, until we hit this measure of success. Right. And we're going to like iterate as a team until we hit it. And I think that to me is the future. Right. And um, I don't think we're that far away. I think we're super close and, and I'm excited to see the industry get there.
1: No, it would be nice. It, it it extends the life of of the the feature list too, right? Because oftentimes we build, we release, and we forget. Um, but if we don't, and if there, I haven't seen products that do it really well that that set goals around that feature and measure until so you can iterate until you actually achieve it. it it's an yeah, exciting no, time.
2: I think it's awesome. And I mean, look, there's a lot of writing around you know things like lean startup or other things. And I think this is just the mechanization of a lot of those ideas you know we're we're trying to create more automation around it we're trying to really institutionalize a lot of these concepts but yeah i think it's gonna lead to better products. at the end of the day we all benefit yeah. because we're all consuming so much freaking software right so um, if all the <laughs> software true. we consume gets better and smarter then like we're all winning right you know and, and uh, yeah. i think yeah. that's super cool i mean uh one of the greatest pleasures, honestly, that I have is when a product that we're actually using, so when we're a customer, becomes a customer of us, and we get to, you know, know that oh yeah, partnering with this to make this better, and you see improvement. So I just got onboarded by um, a product pretty recently that we power the onboarding for, and like that feels really really good. It was pretty clean, and I figured it out really really quickly, and like like that feels good. So um, yeah. I, yeah. A lot of joy for me there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, thanks for coming on. Where can we keep up with you and, and Pendo well, on online- our
2: website? Certainly and www.pendo.io is a great place to follow us. We also have a blog um, blog.pendo.io. Um, so feel free to check us out there. Uh, I'm on Twitter. At um, uh, T Olson, T O L O S O N. Um, and uh, Pendo is at Pendo.io, P-E-N-D-O-I-O. Uh, so feel free to follow us on social media. Um, you know, really exciting announcements that we um, you know we have planned uh, throughout the the end of this year. So excited to engage with people.
1: Nice, nice. Well, thanks so Thank much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It's your support that keeps the show going. Rocketship.fm is now part of the Podglomerate Network. If you want to learn more about the other shows on the
0: Podglomerate Network, go to thepodglomerate.com. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. If you go to productcollective.com, you can check out live video interviews, sign up for our newsletter, be a part of our Slack group with over 6,000 product people. Just check it out at productcollective.com.